It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. Episode number 60, November 2007. I have a bunch of interviews recorded, and this is one of the older ones that I've been sitting on, but it's about time that I get it out there. Done by Robert Stevenson at eRubyCon back last summer with Stuart Hallway. I met Stuart Hallway briefly at RubyConf last week and uh, wanted to get this out there so you can all hear it and enjoy it. Hi, this is Rob Stevenson from the Columbus Ruby Brigade here at the third day of eRubyCon. And with me today is Stuart Holloway. How are you doing, Stuart? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Rob. My pleasure. Today we're going to be talking about topics that have been hit upon at, at the uh, Enterprise Ruby Conference, eRubyCon, here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, we had a fishbowl at, uh, at Monday night where a lot of discussion came uh, to the point of you know, how to break Ruby and Rails into the enterprise. Uh, what, what are some of the, the things that, that, that you were able to uh, talk about? Well, a lot of this for me, and we've been doing Ruby in the Enterprise for a couple of years now, centered more around uh, issues of productivity and quality than really around Ruby and Rails directly because uh, developers love to argue about programming languages and tools or what have you, and they'll do that endlessly. Uh, but from the perspective of a business, it's really more about uh, I have a problem that I need to solve, and then you find yourself led to certain technologies that help solve it. Uh, we have pushed 100% code coverage uh, in conjunction with various other quality measures, and we've found that getting that kind of quality is easier to do in Ruby and Rails than other platforms. So rather than selling business people who don't know the technology on, uh, you know, sort of brand recognition of different technologies that developers are excited about, uh, we are much more about showing them how our agile process uh, produces reliable, repeatable software, that we're going to achieve a certain velocity and knock down a certain number of story points uh, per two-week agile iteration, and that uh, Ruby and Rails are a very good technology for supporting that. Now, when you say show them, I, I'm assuming you're going to go in and talk to uh, CTO, CIOs, but even managers. But for a CTO of a big enterprise that, you know, okay, all my people know Java, um, how do you come in and, and try to convince them that, you know, your people are not stupid, they can learn something new? Well, that I mean, you know, the, the word stupid and things like that uh, uh, come up sometimes or, the, you know, a lot of times people will, will say, you know, things more along the lines of that sort of we want to commoditize development or just that, you know, look, uh, we're doing work in uh, a lot of cities that don't have uh, huge IT communities. So uh, managers will say to us, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you do. Uh, as much as it matters to me that there's a life cycle behind that and we have to continue to support and maintain that. Uh, you know, through through the end of that process. And there are a couple things that feed into that. One is we've done several projects where we have enabled very junior developers to take over uh, at the end of the project. And we've actually uh, sort of jokingly found that it's actually easier to have the most junior developers, people who are coming straight out of college, because there are not as many uh, bad cultural influences to undo. Uh, we have one project right now where uh, uh, one of the developers is actually a sophomore in college. And so there's very little broken there uh, at this point, and there's an opportunity to start. And we're not seeing uh, an enormous difference between 
programming languages in terms of people's ability to get up to speed. Uh, we've been joking at the conference that uh, you know people say that you know maybe this or that or some other feature of Ruby or Groovy or some of the other languages that are popular right now is difficult and that their development team isn't you know willing to climb that hill. Uh, bottom line is building this stuff is difficult. Right? The abstractions themselves in the in the domain are are usually more difficult than the abstractions we attack them with in the programming language. So you know development in Java is hard. Development in Ruby is hard. That's why people get paid to do it. Uh, uh, the other thing that's amazing to me is that uh, I find uh, how the CSS style sheet rules interact to be harder than metaprogramming in Ruby or class loading in Java. So uh, web developers, are, you know, people who uh, sometimes in a sort of humble way say, well, I couldn't be a server-side developer, are actually doing something which, to my mind, is cognitively more difficult than some of these supposedly scary stuff that we're doing in, in Java or Ruby. So I, I don't buy the difficulty argument, but uh, or the or the you know my team can't switch to this uh, argument. Another thing is that that uh, people are unwilling to invest in retraining, uh, both as individuals and as organizations. And if you do the return on investment, it makes no sense at all. If you could make your development team ten percent more productive over a big project, it'd be worth taking almost a month of the year out just to train to get that, right? That investment would pay, uh, pay itself back within a year, not to mention how happy a development team is to feel like that they are investing in themselves and that their company is investing in them. So it is an education issue, but it's, you know, once you're at the table and solving problems, it's not an insurmountable one. With, with Java, you have Sun behind it, um, which can be questionable at times. And with .NET, of course, you've got Microsoft, but there's really, you know, because Ruby and Rails are, are, are uh, you know, open source driven and, and kind of community driven, but in a, a loose sense, um, you'll find that managers aren't apt to take on something like Ruby and Rails because, right, if something goes wrong, they can't point a finger to a corporation. They can't buy a, a support contract for uh, a lot of money. How do you try to educate managers that um, are don't want to take the risk of using a new technology. So certainly the risk counts as a, you know, a valuable item when you, when you tote up the pluses and minuses, and, and it should be assigned a weight if an organization already has a stack and already has support contracts and so forth. Uh, but the weight isn't infinite. So I encourage them to put a dollar value on that and factor that into the equation and, and do that. Uh, allow me to participate in that conversation. Uh, there is a need for more commercial support for Ruby and Rails. Uh, companies like ThoughtWorks uh, are stepping up and doing that. Uh, at Relevance, we are uh, willing to do that, and we don't sort of you know, formally market that at this point, but we're certainly willing to uh, engage with customers we're developing for, or even ones we're not, uh, about support, because we see uh, that that issue is out there. I would love to see a, a sort of different model for that in the Ruby and Rails community than has come into existence around other technology stacks so that rather than having uh, you know, large vendors, not that they're bad, but rather than having large vendors, something that tapped into the sort of uh, micro nature of the dozens of beautiful wildflower Ruby projects that are blooming out there. And I talked to Jim Wyrick, uh, the creator of uh, Rake and Flexmock, uh, yesterday about this, about having some sort of uh, uh, blanket umbrella organization that wasn't trying to achieve you know, some 
IPO or something like that, but that just was able to tie together various key people in the Ruby community and mm-hmm. uh, prov- you know pay them for the work that they've done, reward them for the work that they've done to support the community, and then turn around and present a face to businesses that want to have that service and support. So I think there's there's room for improvement there. Uh, uh, individually at Relevance, we've solved this problem with customers by saying, you know, show us how you do it today, and we will match that. Uh, not just the development piece, but the support piece. We, we will match that uh, going forward. But it needs to be built out. It's a new technology. So it's, it is an ongoing issue. Let's talk about one of your sessions you did yesterday. Um, you named it uh, This Week in Refactoring. Um, that's up on your blog uh, that you've blogged about for the past couple of days. Um, it was interesting because you, you know, there, there are now charity drives, but now you're trying to push, um, in addition to charity, but you're trying to push unit testing. And at our, our fishbowl, uh, we had, it was actually being held at the uh, Microsoft uh, building, or not really building, but their offices here, and we had uh, a, a Microsoft person in, in the attendance that said, you know, it was really interesting. At the end, said it was really interesting that, you know, this is a Ruby uh, group, but the main focus that was talked about generally revolved around unit testing that had nothing to do with, with Ruby. So you've now – talk about your idea for this, uh, your, your This Week in Refactoring. I have to first say that I, I give a lot of talks at a lot of conferences and very few things – excited me as much as the possibility of this talk before doing it this week and after having done it I'm even more excited so basically what I did was I, I picked an open source project in the Ruby and Rails community this time it's the the typo blogging engine and I show the conference attendees how to uh, pull that code down how to look at the code look at its unit tests do a code review uh, look at coverage tools, analyze the project, and find a way to make a small contribution. In, in my case, I didn't know I would do this up front, but having gone through the, the experience once, uh, I time-boxed the investment in that to four hours. So I said I'm going to take four hours, find a project, make a concrete improvement to the project, take notes on the process uh, as I was doing it. Uh, with Typo, I was able to find six small improvements uh, some of them were code coverage improvements. Some of them were refactorings for understandability of the code. And uh, some of them were out-and-out bug fixes. Uh, in four hours, find those six things, write test-driven tests to show that they were, in fact, improvements and not backsliding in the code base, uh, make the improvements, create the patch, document everything I had done, create a... Uh, keynote presentation showing everything I had done and then submit that. In this case, I believe it was, uh, was track issue 1131 in, uh, in the uh, code base. So if you want to go and take a look at that in typo, you can look at the code that was done. And my d- idea is to now take this talk to different languages and platforms and different communities and give it at a series of uh, conferences and events like the eRubicon over the rest of the year. And at each event not only show people how to uh, contribute to open source, and this particular room was a a pretty good density of contributors already, about, I would say, a third to 40% of the people there had already done this, and I challenged everybody else who was there to go and take four hours and make a contribution to the Typo project. 
And so what I'd like to do is, you know, over the rest of the year, uh, repeat this exercise with a variety of different open source projects and, and actually let this build up some steam, you know, ideally to the point where projects would actually get in touch with me and say, yes, we'd like to participate in this, you know, free service of uh, four hours of, of refactoring from you followed by, you know, whatever uh, enthusiasm is generated uh, at the conference. So uh, I'm going to check back in on the uh, uh, typo track and see if there are other people uh, who are inspired. Uh, I basically told the, the attendees, you know, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. So uh, hopefully the 60% who had never uh, contributed to an open source project before will do that uh, after the talk. So, I mean, a lot of different things all rolled together there, right? It's, it's, it's improving the community. It's improving uh, our approach to testing kind of all rolled up together. Right, and in, in, in this audience, I, I, I sat in on the talk. You had Jim Wyrick, Neil Ford, uh, Glenn Vandenberg, and a, a lot of other people that, um, let's face it, you know, I'm I'm no Stuart Holloway. I can't go into this code and, you know, and say, oh, gosh, they're doing this wrong. You know, and that's why I love reading uh, The Rails Way that Jameis Buck and Michael Kosiarski does um, because it, it does that refactoring that coming from Java, you know, you, it, trying to do it the Ruby way is a, is just a different way of thinking, and you know how does someone you know Joe uh, Coder who is interested in Ruby and has done a little bit at home, how could they get in there and how would you suggest they they get into say typo, and you know some of the code that you showed um, where they misspelled the word cache and they misspelled it as cackle. You know, something like that. I'm like, oh, okay, I can fix that. But other ways of, of, you know, okay, this, there were multiple points where a refactoring could take place. And of course, there was, in your talk, there was disagreements between you and Jim Wyrick and, and some others on, on how to do things. How would you suggest someone um, more of a, you know, a, a Joe Coder kind of a guy go in and, and, and fix and, and submit patches? So you're absolutely right, and uh, I often uh, discuss in my personal life, my wife and I always joke about the great being the enemy of the good. In everything we do in life, we're, we're both uh, big bite kind of people in the way we approach life. And so we often look back at the end of a week or a month and a year and say, we did these things in our lives that we're you know, excited about, but there were these other things that were great that got in the way. Uh, of being good enough. The fact of the matter is most of the open source projects out there, Ruby and Rails or otherwise, are not running at 100% code coverage with dense, elegant, poetic code. And uh, at one level that's intimidating because you watch somebody who's playing at that level do demos at a conference or whatever and you say, well, I, I'm not writing 100% test covered, dense, elegant, poetic code either so I can't play. And the fact of the matter is people can play and several people came away from the talk thinking, you know, I hadn't seen all the various tools used together, right? I hadn't gone through the process of, of SVN download, rake, building out the test task, running the RCOV test, and then you actually find, you know, you go and click on one of those red lines and you actually find that some of the problems are really simple. That, uh, you know, we're not close to giving code the amount of refactoring attention that it deserves. Maybe at some point five years from now, what I'm trying to do with this week in refactoring wouldn't be accessible to, to novice programmers or people who are getting started in a language or a platform right now. But at this point, the fact of the matter is it is accessible, that there is so much that needs to be done. And with a little bit of, you know, just knowing how to run a rake task and run an archive report 
and go and find a couple of lines of code that aren't covered. Right? Some of it is busy work. Right? But you do that busy work three or four times, and then you start to pull out observations about how to make it not busy work. And because Ruby is such a dynamic language, you can say, you know what, I've just done the same thing four times. I can make that go away. Or I don't quite know how to make that go away yet, but at least I've improved the, the code coverage or improved a bit of documentation. Some of the attendees at the conference said, you know, I just went up and I made, I read a piece of the code, I didn't understand it, I figured it out, and I made a documentation patch. There was, you know, so there are a lot of levels at which people can jump in and commit. And one of the things, if you go and download, if you go and look at that patch 1131 or track issue 1131 in typo, you'll see that some of the changes are extremely modest. So there is a, you know, a curve that people can go up that's smooth, right? Instead of just hitting the brick wall, I mean, the, the most complicated of the six refactorings was identifying uh, an opportunity for doing a little, uh, a little bit of metaprogramming in how typo deals with deprecated things, right? where there was, were several places where there were methods that looked very similar, and I pulled that out into a more declarative style. Uh, at a beginning, Ruby programmer won't do that on day one. Uh, but although I would argue that they might do it on day five, right? They might finish it <laughs> under the wire in the 21 days for dummies, you know, <laughs> learning curve. Uh, so, so even the the more elaborate things, if you've seen an exemplar for how to do it, but there's absolutely tons of little things just sitting out there that are easy to spot, and so I would encourage people to uh, to go and give it a shot. Now, let me um, shout out to all the open source library providers and the people who run projects make it possible for someone to at least download and run the rake test tasks on your project because the the absolute buzzkill is to go and grab an interesting project and not even be able to run the tests because at that point a lot more knowledge is going to be called on and a couple of the projects I tried before settling on typo I wasn't able to sort of trivially get started and right. so I knew that I wasn't going to meet my four hour time box um, and those projects, by the way, I will be emailing you privately and, and, and you know, helping out, right? There's a bigger project there showing how to get a project from um, not community-friendly to community-friendly. And I, you pointed out six issues, and, of course, we had some laughs, at, you know, the misspelling, stuff like that. But you did compliment the typo folks that you were able to download the code, run Archive, and get started very quickly. Um, and, and there was a comment that, well, that it, it was good that you didn't try to tackle Rails, right? Because that's probably something that would be a little more difficult for someone um, to get into in, in four hours and be able to... Actually, it's, it's interesting that you mention that. Patching Rails itself um, is something that you could bite off in four hours. Uh, basically, in order to patch Active Record, you need to know how to set up uh, MySQL maybe a little bit more manually, a little bit past database.yaml level, but not much, as I recollect. So I will uh, refactor Rails uh, at a future uh, installment of this uh, in, an, in an environment where that's appropriate. The, the issue there is that uh, most people have been exposed to a Rails application. Fewer people have been exposed to the underlying Rails code base. Uh, there are tons of places in there where the developers on the Rails core team uh, were learning uh, Ruby themselves as they did it and that could go back and stand to have uh, some love applied uh, retroactively. So I think that's a, a perfectly good area. It's not the, the project I would recommend somebody pick as their first one, but it's, uh, it's more approachable than you might think. Good to hear. You also had a talk on refactoring, which, of course, we've been talking about. 
Um, how does someone learn, like I said, more of the Ruby way? Um, how does someone get more, you know, coming from another language, um, learn, you know, how to, you know, create beautiful code in Ruby? So obviously there's the, the Pickaxe book. I would recommend anybody who hasn't started read that. I also very much like the Ruby way, Hal Fulton's uh, book, uh, since you mentioned that phrase uh, in the question. Uh, you know, there's, there's the, the books that are out there. Uh, and there are the open source projects to read. Now, as I said, uh, metaprogramming in Ruby is powerful and beautiful. It's also, there are many choices, right? So Ruby is a, you know, there's five ways to do it or ten ways to do any given thing kind of language. And that's frightening to people who are just getting started because you want to have that sort of, okay, show me a way to do it or even tell me there's the way to do it for now make allow me to feel that you know sort of initial sense of success and then later say okay actually there's 20 different ways that you could do it and give the developer the empowerment to start choosing the one uh, that is most appropriate uh, for that circumstance so it's not easy and i think the best thing to do is work within the boundaries of a particular domain where somebody else has already worked to give you elegance and beauty. Rails is the perfect example, right? Start by building a Rails application and go through the process of seeing how easy it is to, to stitch things together with Active Record, for example, where so much of the, the code that you write is declarative, uh, declarative relationships, declarative validations, and so forth. The other thing that you can do in sufficiently dynamic languages um, I would say languages that are, you know, seven plus on Paul Graham's nine-point scale, is you should always be telling yourself, if I can think it in one thought, I can write it in one line. And in Ruby, that's almost always true. If you can't write it in one line yet, don't give up. Write it in five lines. Write a test that shows that it works. And know that you're going to come back and shorten that to one more expressive line once you better understand the code. Actually, one of the uh, methods that we refactored in the typo code base was a very simple uh, method that was uh, extracting the pingback URL from a response. And the method in the typo code base was maybe nine lines long, and it had three branches. And we demonstrated that it actually only needed two branches. Uh, and then as we were sitting there, uh, I, had, I had refactored it from untested and kind of hard to read with three branches down to tested and easier to read with two branches. And Glenn Vanderberg, who was sitting in the audience, uh, refactored it down to a single line. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is an iterative process. But the fact that you could take it from seven lines and kind of hard to understand to five lines and a little bit easier to understand, you know, that's great. Uh, someone later is going to take it down to one line, even better. Uh, one of the things that I, I said in the talk was uh, I try to write my code as thousands of little isolated boxes of stupidity. Right? I'd rather them have them be isolated little boxes of intelligence, but I acknowledge the fact that none of them are perfect. But with testing and with good object-oriented design, we've at least isolated them in little boxes. So that method lives in the right place. It's hung on the right class. And yes, it can be improved in the future, but the, it's already known to work. It's five lines that aren't so great, and in the future it's going to be one line that's even better. But that change will be totally isolated from the rest of the code base, and a Glenn Vanderberg or somebody like that can come along and make that change. 
Let's talk about uh, a project that, that Relevance brought out uh, maybe two years ago called Streamline. Can you explain what Streamline is and, and what's the status of, of the project? So Streamline has been many things to many people, and uh, many of the things that it was at the beginning of its life, it isn't anymore. So, so history is important here. Uh, Streamline started as a quick and dirty generator-based approach to pull out, to extract some commonality in doing admin interfaces on various Rails projects that we were building. After we had done that for a while, we realized that several things that we had done we didn't like. Uh, we have given Streamline version numbers like 0.0.5 to indicate to people that, that we're putting this out there to get feedback. Uh, but you know, here there be dragons pretty much all across the code base. We are going to release an 0.9 or an RC sometime in the next month. And that's going to represent uh, a commitment, A, to rapidly coming to closure and going 1.0, uh, and B, uh, not pulling the rug out from people uh, in terms of API and, and approach. Uh, we have abandoned being generator-based, and uh, Streamline is currently a plug-in. Uh, as appropriate, uh, we may make it a gem as well at some point. Uh, so it's much easier to pull into your project. It's much less intrusive uh, in how it adds services to your project. In terms of what it does, it's not really an admin back-end piece anymore. It's more about trying to make uh, view code and controller code as declarative as active record code is. So um, to some degree, it's comparable to uh, things like Django in the Python world or Active Scaffold uh, in the Rails world, but not so much. I mean, I would argue that the thing it's most comparable to, or the thing that we are gradually taking it towards, would be uh, Eitan Suez's JMatter framework, where the objective is that you know 90% of the UI of an application could be inferred from the model. Uh, for a while in the Java world, people called this naked objects. Um, uh, that name seems to be a poison pill for folks. I mean, I don't know if that's... Uh, you know, if that got, gets a PG-13 or an R rating well, in some people's yeah. minds because of the try word printing naked. printing out the uh, naked objects documentation at work. Right. And uh, you, you hit the print button and you run to the printer real quick because right. you'll get some looks. So, so I think that, you know, maybe the naked objects name is unfortunate. But the goal of saying that a huge amount of UI work, especially in Rails, uh, where you come at from a web, web app framework, a lot of people are now using Rails to build uh, internal uh, you know, within a company, uh, applications that are going to be used by a small user base to to basically replace things that people were doing in Microsoft Access or in an Excel spreadsheet, or or you know usually in some hodgepodge of well we've got this piece in Lotus Notes over here and this is in an Excel spreadsheet over here and we manage this via email over here and it's kind of evolved over time and we want to clean that up and have that be simple and we want to get all those productivity gains that people talk about building it in Ruby and Rails. And the good of it is you can really quickly get started. Uh, the bad of it, and we've seen this on projects that we've developed, is that you can end up being very webby in how you approach that. So you can write a ton of view code and you can discover after a while that there's a lot of repetition in the view code that the active record piece as it plays out is very elegant but the view and controller pieces are very repetitive and so we're trying to dry up uh, view and controller uh, the current uh, edge of streamlined and if anyone's going to go download this make sure you go and grab edge 
uh, not the 0.0.7 release because that's ancient at this point. Now, if you go and grab the Edge release, you'll see that there's actually a CRUD controller. And if you have CRUD, you're done. If you're basically just doing create, read, and update, and delete. Uh, the problem that we have with Streamline, and the reason that we haven't taken it to 1.0, is that once you say that you're going to infer uh, UI from relationships, then you need to support all the different relationship types. And it takes a fair amount of work to do each one of those. So you've got basic editing for the different kinds of data types that are likely to show up in a Rails app, but you don't yet have all the different relation types, uh, relationship types that are in Rails. And so what you'll see when you build your app is that maybe the has one relationship will automatically generate an appropriate UI for how do you select that one, but the has many through will generate a UI that says TBD. <laughs> Literally, it'll just drop TBD in the UI, and then you still have to write view code. And that just, I mean, that in my view, that recommends, uh, uh, represents us you know, incrementally uh, moving towards a goal. Um, in the open source world, uh, people have uh, come to have high expectations and they want a complete solution. We're not there yet. Uh, we know that there are various UI pieces that aren't written yet. Uh, and probably some of the relationship types in Rails, some of the more esoteric options won't be supported, uh, even in the 1.0 release. You're no worse off, right? You just still have to go write those. You'd have had to write them anyway. Uh, for the relationship types that are supported, essentially, you declare your uh, relationships in active record and you're done. All right, cool. Uh, the blog is relevancellc.com slash blog. Um, and Streamlined is, uh, is at streamlinedframework.org. Okay. So there's a, the relevance blog is you know us you know spouting off about uh, software development and then the streamlined development stuff is at streamlinedframework.org. Where can people uh, attend the uh, this week in refactoring summer tour? So I have uh, I have uh, proposed and will be proposing that the this week in refactoring talk at uh, all the various places that I normally speak. So uh, I hope to be giving a similar talk at the Rails Edge. Uh, when that comes up in Chicago, um, I'm, I'm begging to switch my uh, current proposal to that today. So I hope to hear back about that. Uh, I'll be asking uh, uh, Jay Zimmerman at the No Fluff Just Stuff Java Symposium uh, to have me do that talk there. Uh, that venue is is not uh, hugely Ruby oriented at this point, so it would probably will probably be uh, refactoring uh, in, at the intersection of the Java and Ruby worlds. So uh, I'm a committer on the JRuby Extras project. Uh, we may do some refactoring of some of the JRuby extras pieces or of the JRuby platform itself. There's a lot of Java code in there uh, that could stand to have some refactoring love. And most of the things that I did in the talk yesterday were not really Ruby or Rails specific. They were more about good object-oriented design and having a tool set in place that lets you look around in the code and hunt for things to, that you could make better. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for uh, sitting down with me today, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Rob. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure being here uh, in Columbus and uh, being at the eRubyCon. Thanks. Sponsored by PeepCode Screencasts. Current content on Rails 2.0, the Git source code control system, RSpec, and now with closed captioning on the Rails from Scratch series.